0: Spectrumites and other people. My name is Forrest, and welcome to episode 8 of The Pancake King, Life and Marriage on the Spectrum. In this podcast, I'm going to give you insights on the autism spectrum, break down some of the myths surrounding it, tell you stories about my experiences on the spectrum, as well as the marriage I have with someone else on the spectrum, and allow you to have a window into my life through conversations I have with friends and family. Most importantly, I hope you learned something from this series, as well as have fun listening to it. It's currently a beautiful night that I'm recording this, so beautiful in fact that we have a lot of bugs making noises outside, so if you hear that in the background, I apologize. I will try and do the best I can in the post-production editing magic to filter that out as much as possible, but either way, let's get into it. In my previous on-the-road episode, I got to talk to my friend Blade about his experiences growing up on the autism spectrum, and what was done to help him in school and other situations so that his autism would be as little of an obstacle as possible. Blade's place on the spectrum was discovered very early in his life, and in a near future episode, we'll touch on the fact that uh, my wife KG's autism was also discovered very early. On the other hand, you know, mine wasn't. I was diagnosed much later in life, to the point where I was already done with high school and well into college. So why wasn't I diagnosed sooner? And what was ultimately the turning point that made my parents decide it was time? To delve deeper into this, I asked my mom what that turning point was and why it took so long to get there, in a non-confrontational and loving way, of course. So let me play that for you. So, Mom, now that I have you on the phone, I was wondering if you can um, answer a question, and that is why did it take uh, so long for me to get diagnosed?
1: Well, your dad and I suspected something might be up around the time you turned maybe 12 or 13. Um, We didn't really suspect anything before that simply because you, well, autism was not as well known as a spectrum as it is today. So when you heard the word autism, you thought about like the, the people who tend to be more nonverbal or, you know, more severely on the spectrum, um, Asperger's we had never heard of at the time. And, you were just such a, like, because one of the components that we saw when we looked at autism was that, you know, they were not social, they won't look you in the eye, those types of things. And that wasn't you. <laughs> you were very social. We thought you might have ADHD, but, but we didn't think really anything else. And then when you hit puberty was when we started to notice some things. And um, I came across an article about Asperger's, and it was the first time I had heard of it. And it listed, like, some of the traits. And I thought, oh, my goodness, this fits Forest." And showed it to your dad, and he agreed. And so we kind of read some more about it. And really what we had thought was, because you were homeschooled, um, no need to, like, have a diagnosis to get you an IEP or anything. I could tailor your education to your needs. And you were you were thriving, like you had friends and you enjoyed life. I mean there wasn't anything in particular that gave us concern, so we just didn't feel like it was necessary to have the official diagnosis. And then fast forward a few years, I mean, obviously, we noticed that there were some issues with how you learn to interact with others. And so we, um, I don't know if you remember, we bought that book about manners, and it was very practical. Do you remember that?
0: Yeah, I remember that. (laughs) Yeah,
1: (laughs) and you had to, like, practice those things, and we would show you faces, like, different facial expressions and, to try to help you determine how does somebody feel when they look like this or things like that. And so we tried to work on those skills with you. And then um, I do remember that we kind of told you that we thought you were on the spectrum when you got to be later in your teen years. Um, But about the time we decided maybe it was a good idea for you to get diagnosed was when you started to feel like it was negatively impacting your life to not know. It seemed like you needed that certainty and that understanding in order to kind of process that and learn more about who you were and what your needs were. That's why we kind of encouraged you at that point. But because you were an adult, we left it up to you. I mean, we wanted you to make that decision. We also felt like it would be helpful to you going to college, getting the accommodations that you needed, um, having that diagnosis on paper is so much more helpful for others, you know. But really, because we felt like you were doing so well otherwise, and because you were happy at the time, or at least seemed to be happy with who you were, we didn't feel like we wondered if getting the diagnosis would negatively impact you rather than positively.
0: I mean, it did, in, at least in the short term.
1: Right, right. And when you're in those teen years, I mean, you're so tender. <laughs> so, you know, like, there was, I mean, one of the reasons why, like, I don't like to compare, but one of the reasons why we we did it a little sooner with your brother was because he at one point said, I just feel like there's something different about me. I feel like I don't, I don't, what was the word he used, like process the same way as other people. And it was really frustrating to him. So we knew at that point, it's time for him to get that clarification, but you never really had those moments. So we thought, well, as long as he's thriving, you know, we'll just keep moving forward and make sure that we give him the tools, we teach him the things he needs to know so that he can interact in the world around him.
0: Well, it was also kind of a, a somewhat difficult somewhat difficult time um, for, for me at that point. Like, by the time I went to that appointment, you know, it was kind of a mm-hmm. difficult time for me. It was sort of like in between. I was already going to college at that point. You know, I had a part-time job, and, and I wasn't living with you guys at the time. You know, was, right. I was... I was determined, hoping that this would be it, this would be, like, when I can uh, go out on my own, but it wasn't time for me yet, Um, and, uh, yeah, it was kind of discouraging, so, yeah, in the short term, the diagnosis report just kind of uh, felt very discouraging, but, um, yeah, I was just curious, like, uh, why it, you know, took quite a while, and what might have been the catalyst, but I feel like, in a way, part of that catalyst was because, I was in a position in life where I wasn't even with you guys. And there was a lot that I still couldn't really do very well when I was on my own. I didn't have a lot of didn't have a lot of confidence in myself either.
1: Right. And and it was frustrating for you um, because you at least from my memory, you couldn't figure out why. Why you couldn't seem to catch on to those things that you wanted so desperately to do. And, yeah, so, I mean, I feel like there are times that we regret waiting so long. Um, Obviously, all along, we felt like we were doing the best that we could possibly do. Um, And so there are times that we regret waiting. And then there are other times that we wonder if maybe, you know, in some ways it was a good thing because we taught you to do things that maybe if we had had that diagnosis super early we might have coddled you more <laughs> you know <laughs> what i mean we might have especially since you were our first child we might not have expected you to learn some of the things that we expected you to learn and and you you were able to move out fairly young and get on your own and thrive and I mean, now you're thriving, so, you know, I feel like part of that was just, um, you having to, because you didn't have any other choice.
0: Right, no, that's fair.
1: Do you feel like we should have gotten you diagnosed sooner?
0: I think in some cases, it, you know, it might have helped me in high school more, because that was something that Mm -hmm. we really, you know, that was something that we really struggled with, you know? Yeah. Um... That was, uh, you know, it, it caused, I know, I remember it did cause some, you know, strain in our relationship, uh, because I couldn't understand, I, I feel like I spent almost my entire high school life never quite being, uh, never quite understanding why high school was so important. And you right. spent uh, a lot of it, um, you know, struggling to understand why I couldn't understand, <laughs> Um, and so there was kind of that, that, um, you know, that disconnect there for sure. I wouldn't say that, um, I wish it so much that I think about it every day. It's just one of the, you know, just one of the occasional thoughts where, like, I ask myself, you know, what would have happened if, um, if I got diagnosed earlier, I think it probably would have you know, helped our relationship a little bit better, like, especially in the last few years of, uh, high school for me. And it probably would have, um, been a tremendous help for me when, you know, I was, uh, living somewhere else for a little bit. Um, it probably would have helped that. But, you know, um, going, you know, going back with you guys was the right decision, uh, even if I didn't like it. And, um and it helped uh, give me the time I needed to grow so that I can try again and, you know, and succeed this time. Actually, if anything, what I regret more is coming back home, you know, uh, coming back to you guys, and taking too long to figure out how to try again. Mm. Um, You know, that, I think, is what I regret more. You know, when I moved back in... I kind of ended up in sort of somewhat of a state of, um, not necessarily complacency, but just got too comfortable, um, Mm -hmm. you know, like, when I moved back in with you guys, um, you know, the, like, my finances spiraled, um, my, uh, motivation to try doing anything more beyond just going to school, going to work, and, you know, like, watching YouTube in my room, um, Uh, like it, it was hard for me to like be motivated beyond that. And there was a lot that, you know, happened. Um, uh, there was a lot that happened when I was like, quote unquote, on my own that, you know, I sort of had to unpack and, um, and deal with over the next year or so. So right, I I would say my biggest regret was that I, I feel like I took too long in between the time I moved back in with you guys and the time I moved out again and for the final time.
1: Yeah, that's interesting because I guess I remember that time differently. I mean, I do remember you, <clears throat> excuse me, um, what you said, going to work, going to school, watching YouTube videos in your room, not really being much motivated to do other things. But I remember when we started doing the whole budget thing and sitting down every, you know, couple of weeks to work out how your paycheck would go and things like that. I felt like you really began to move forward. I don't know. I don't remember that time. During that time thinking, oh my gosh, he's got to get out. (laughs) (laughs) I never thought that. I thought, and I really was so proud of you when you did move out because I I felt like, I mean, for somebody on the spectrum who has extra challenges, you moved out even sooner than a lot of people do, and you made it on your own even sooner, which is, you know, not typical, and so, yeah, I I thought that your timing was fine, but I know it's a different perspective, and I do look back at your teen years, and I mean, I think what kept... Dad and I, from moving forward with the diagnosis at that point, even though, like, looking back, you're right. I think you're right. I think it would have helped both of us. I think it would have given you and us greater understanding so that we could navigate our relationship better. But I think what held us back was just fear that it would... Uh, that you would take on a label and that you would disqualify yourself. So, like, because you were already feeling frustrated that you, um, I mean, I, rem- and I won't share details that you don't share because they're your details, but, like, <laughs> I just remember you, you know, having typical... Emotional struggles as a teenager. I mean, every teenager goes through those things, but we didn't want you. Like, I guess my fear was that a diagnosis would cause you to just go, Well, I guess this is just who I am. I'm autistic and I can't be any different. Like, I can't succeed in this area or this area because I'm autistic. And I didn't want you to put any limits on yourself. However, I know that. If you knew you were on the spectrum, you know, you could have navigated it a little better. So, yeah, so I'm not saying that we were right in doing what we did. I'm just giving you the reasons behind, you know, what our thought process was and why we did it the way that we did.
0: So with that segment done, what were some things that showed signs of potential autism to my parents when I was growing up? Well, misunderstanding contextual cues was one of them. What does this mean? It means I would say things that were rude or insulting to someone, but didn't understand that they were rude or why they were rude. Another example of this is that when my parents would receive bad news or be having a serious conversation at the dinner table, I'd be laughing at the table because of something funny running through my head at the time. Sure, it's not a crime to laugh at something in your head that's funny, But in my case, it was at the wrong place at the wrong time. I remember this getting me in trouble many times. Another sign was my history of obsessive and compulsive tendencies, like thinking about something coming up that I was anticipating but losing track of the present. I'd think about every single possible thing that could happen, even if it's not at all realistic. Even if my worries and concerns are proven wrong, I'd still think and obsess over these things. This wasn't just something I experienced growing up, it's still something I struggle with now. A meet-up with friends, a serious conversation I'm going to have with the wife, something of mine back home that's not working. These are all things I still think about obsessively if they're coming up. Which prevents me from, as Jedi Master Qui-Gon Jinn says, focusing my attention on the here and now where it belongs. I've checked door locks multiple times, I'd tap the lock button for my car at least twice, and, if you can believe it, wonder if I left the stove on at home. Finally, for this particular episode, another issue I had, and still have, is that my organizational skills uh, were and are inconsistent. Uh, I'd have my movies and video games together in meticulous order, making sure they're even alphabetized. Or I'll change that once in a while, depending on how I feel. With clothes, on the other hand... Look, I'll say that there's definitely a split personality going on when you see my stuff. I love decorating and saying things up I own, like movies, books, and collectibles. But you can forget about clothes or paperwork. I love setting up posters, all that type of stuff, like giving the room some personality. But uh, clothes can be all over the floor, or paperwork, bills... Letters, you know, all that type of stuff will just be piled up with no organization in mind whatsoever. That stuff gets everywhere with me. With school, I wasn't very good at planning ahead of time for longer projects, and I would often be sitting at the dinner table late at night uh, to work on a paper or on math that's due the next day. And if I get distracted from a project, it'll be a while before I get back to it, if I get back to it at all. If you were diagnosed much later in life, I don't believe it's ever quote-unquote too late to get diagnosed. If you feel like you should get a definitive answer, don't be discouraged by how old you've gotten at this point. If it means that much to you and you believe it'll help you, go for it. Even though I was diagnosed way later than a lot of other people, I turned out okay. Heck, eventually that turning point led to me making this podcast. That's not so bad. Okay, if it means that much to you, I'll dedicate some time to learn more about... ...BTS.
1: Excellent.
0: So... what's there to learn?
1: I'm glad you asked.
0: Is that a PowerPoint?
1: There's 300 slides, so you may want to take notes.
0: Have questions about the topics I've covered or the conversations I've had? Want to provide suggestions for autism-related topics I can cover? Email me at vanzotmedia at gmail.com. That's V-A-N-Z-O-T, media, at gmail.com, and I'll consider your suggestions. Hey guys, if you haven't already, subscribe to this podcast, write a review to help the show grow, and subscribe to my substack at thepancakeking.substack.com to receive updates on new podcast episodes, a new blog post every Saturday, and other content I may put out. You can also check out the entertainment me, KG, and my friends make together on our YouTube channel, Vanzot Productions. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.